Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Greetings all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio. You know, this place definitely, I have a lot of memories in this place right here because I have worked out in this gym, um, worn myself out right there in that uh, exercise room over there. So I am definitely at home. But this community, Asbury here, has meant so much to me over really the last decade plus from the masters to the, to the, to the doctorate. And um, I love the education, but I really deeply appreciate the relationships of the people that I got to know. So I consider it a great honor for me to be able to, to be here with you today. And so here's what I want to do. I want to reference a poet um, by the name of Nas. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a rapper from Queensbridge. And uh, back in the late 90s, he wrote a song in collaboration with Lauryn Hill entitled, If I Ruled the World. And in this song, he begins to describe what the world would look like if he had the power to change things, if he had the clout, if he had the power. And he begins, through his lyrics, describing a, a, a fresh, different type of world. Now, let me just tell you before you Google and YouTube his music. I just want to let you know his vision of the world is not necessarily what some people would consider a sanctified version of the world, so you have been warned. But what it does do, it reminds us that we typically have, most if not all of us, have a picture in our minds of what the world is supposed to be. And when we find what we feel like the ought is versus what reality is, we find ourselves moaning and groaning and longing for the world to be what we believe it should be. So with that said, let me just start by asking you this question. If you had the power to change anything in the world, if you had the money, the political clout, whatever it was, the strength, what would you change in this world? Now, I want you to think about this, and please don't be vague with it, because you could say, I just wish everybody would be happy, you know. Great, but, but what specifically would you want to change? If you had a chance to, to change anything in this world that you could, what would you change? Now, I'm going to guess that most of us in here could probably think of at least one thing. Is that correct? And the reason is, is because we have a vision of what the world is supposed to be. And I also want to let you know that God himself has a vision of what the world is supposed to be. There's a quote that stuck out to me that was, um, I, I heard a good friend of mine, and I, I imagine a few people in here might know who he is, Dr. Brian Russell, um, and he said something to this effect. He said, you know what, our, our goal as believers is, is not just to make the world better, but to make a better world. And I believe that God is making all things new. Can we pray as we start here? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our opportunity to be here. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Scripture. And so I'm asking today that we would walk out of here and hear what it is that you want to speak to us. But God, we don't want to just walk out of here more informed. Help us to also be transformed. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, my... Um, my daughter was really into this show uh, a while back entitled Nailed It. Anybody ever heard of that show? And the idea of it is you have this 
um, you have these expert professional bakers that would make these elaborate desserts. And the goal was for those who were amateur bakers to try to recreate the, as best as they could the original version of it. And so when they finished making their, um, their dessert, they would say something. What would they say for those who've watched it? Nailed it, right? And so they would say, nailed it. And so the, the, the judges would go around, and the person whose creation looks most like the original would actually be the winner. But what we find is that a lot of the people who were creating, actually, it would resemble the original, but it wasn't quite exactly it. It was like a marred version of the original. And I think about that because the world that we live in, in many ways, is a marred version of God's original intent. We know that because when we uh, read through Genesis chapter 1, we find that there's a repeated phrase in the story of creation. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good until we get to verse 31. And he says that he saw that it was very good. And so we see this world that God has created that is very good. But then we look at the world around us and we realize that it's not all good. And so Genesis chapter 3 gives us the context. I'm not going to elaborate on that passage right now, but that is the story of the fall. And when Adam fell, in a sense, all of humanity fell with him, which is why Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul reminds us of this. He says, what does he say? He says, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin." And so what we see here is that because of the fall, all of us have not only been affected by his sin, but in a sense we've all been infected by that sin. And we see how the story unfolds as we get from Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 11. We see this downward spiral of sin, and we look through the pages of Scripture, and we see the evidence of the sin that not only affects us, but we see how all of creation has been impacted by this sin as well. Just read Romans chapter 8 and see how all creation has been subjected to the futility. And so this is really where we find it. But guess what? We don't just have to open up our Bibles to see that things in this world are messed up. We just need to open up our eyes. Or open up your social media timelines. Any of you guys had fun with that lately? But, but you know, there's, there's things that are wrong and that this world is not quite what it's supposed to be, that there's a gap between what we long for it to be and what it is. We see that when we look on television or we, we see that there's television shows with young girls being sexually exploited for entertainment. We know that there's something that's wrong when we find that there's people who have died in the streets and, and, and we even as Christians sometimes say, I will reserve my compassion until I get all the facts. We know that there's something wrong when we see that there is a, a virus that is going and, and people who have lost loved ones are unable to properly mourn their loss because they're unable to be close with other family members. And so we find that there's things in this world that are not right. But I want you to know that God has a vision for what this world is supposed to be. And where man failed it, Jesus nailed it. I was like, that was either really good or really cheesy. I don't know. But, but, but here's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus. 
What that means is that God did not just create the universe, but he was willing to enter into his creation. And he lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death that we were supposed to die in our place. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he truly is the Son of God. But not only was he proven that he truly is the Son of God, now giving us hope that there is a new creation on its way. And so when we look in the story of scripture, the redemptive story, we see the first couple of chapters gives us the story of creation, but the last couple of chapters give us the story of recreation, and now we as believers have eager expectation of this new world that God is bringing. And so Revelation chapter 21, that was a long intro, right? Long intro, short message. Revelation chapter 21, what we're able to see here is we're able to see just a glimpse of what this world that God has always intended is supposed to look like. And what I love when I look at these first three verses of chapter 21 is that verse 1 starts off with something that, that he's able to see. John sees something. Verse 2, John sees something. And verse 3, John hears something. It's as if God is beginning to open up John's eyes and his ears to a whole new world. Kept singing that song, Aladdin, in my, you know, that Aladdin song in my mind. Okay, stop that, stop that. Um, so so you, you start thinking, man, there's a, there's a whole new world that God is beginning to open up. And here's what he sees here. It says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is, this is language that's reminiscing of Isaiah chapter 65, especially in verses 17 through 19. He's saying, listen, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. You ever see parts of the Bible that it's like, that seems kind of random. And there's no longer any sea. Many times when you're talking about the sea scripturally, it can, all, it can be part of the creation narrative. Or it can actually have um, kind of um, identify with that which is shadowy and gloomy. If you look in chapter 20, verse 13, it talks about the sea giving up its dead. And so this is what he's getting a vision of. And then he goes a little bit further in verse 2. He says, and he sees something else. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. There's so much to unpack here. We know of the city of God and we hear references to that. But what I love is that we get a description of what this new city is going to look like. Later on in chapter 21, we get this picture in verses 22 and 23. It says, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. I mean, you continue to go on, you get this picture of a beautiful city. How many people say, that's the kind of city I want to move to? I mean, Wilmore is great, but man, I like that city right there. And, and so you get this vision that he's having of this new city. In verse 3, here's something. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. God is saying, listen, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And then verse 4 is for anybody who's having a bad day today. He says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. 
The first things have passed away. This is hopeful for us. Man, I want to live in a world, sometimes people think, man, if there really is a God, why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain? If there really was a God, he wouldn't have allowed for this virus to happen. If there really was a God, all this pain wouldn't be happening. Well, there is a God, and he's recreating a world in the vision that he has for this world. No more pain, no more crying, none of that. And then in verse 5 it says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. When I see that, it says that these words are faithful and true. You know what that tells me? This is not, hey, kids, would you guys like the imaginary world that one day in a land far, far away, there was no crying, there was no pain, no tears. Wouldn't that be great, kids? No, no, no. This is not some kind of imaginary fantasy that's been trumped up to try to help John get over his exile that he's living in right now. These words are faithful and true. We are to live in light of this expectation that God is recreating this world and that there is a new creation coming. And I know that all my inductive Bible study students are looking and saying, hold up, there's a chiasm right there. I know you were thinking that, but on the outer edges, I see that it's talking about a new heaven and a new earth and all things are made new and then this whole thing about the sea passing away and all. But dead smack in the middle is God dwelling with with his people. So as we think about the consummation of all that we're leading up to is that God is going to be with his people. He has not abandoned us. And that should give us a a certain level of joy and encouragement today. Now, when we think about this, many times we can look at these words and say, man, that is great. And you know what? We can kind of go back to our Christian bubble and just wait for God to come back in the sweet by and by while ignoring the nasty now and now. But really, when we understand this and we take it to heart, this does not produce escapism. It gives us the courage to now face this world. And I want to talk about how we are called to face this world in light, because we're living in the already but not yet world. We know that God is recreating, but we look and we say, but it's not yet what it should be. So how are we as God's people called to live today? Well, I'm going to just give you a few things. There's a lot of words you could say. But because I have this hope and expectation, we live with radical hope. Now, when I say radical hope, it's not the kind of hope that just kind of closes its eyes to what's going on and ignoring reality. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm not going to go on my timeline, which is actually a good idea sometimes, by the way. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, that's not the type of hope that we have. The kind of hope that we have is the hope that's able to look right in the face of reality and understand there's a greater reality that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. And so that means that, yes, there's time where there's pain. Yes, there's hurt. Yes, there's weeping. Sometimes worship looks like this. One hand lifted to God in worship and another hand clinging to a Kleenex box. But at the same time, we still are people with hope. We hope because we understand that there is a God who created us that has not abandoned us. There's a God who loves us. And it's a stubborn type of hope. 
It's a stubborn type of hope. It's the type of hope, Isaiah 6 reference, it's the type of hope that when King Uzziah dies, we still see the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up. It's that kind of hope that says, you know what, kings rise, kings fall. Can I put it in our own translation? Because just in case you missed it, this is election season. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. But, but, But guess what? You know what? Parties come into office, parties leave. But the Lord of Lords is still on his throne. It's a hope that says, you know what, presidents come, presidents go. But the King of Kings is still on his throne. We should be people of radical hope because we understand God has not abandoned his creation. Not only are we called to be people of radical hope, but we're also called to be people of radical action. See, we, we, we don't just ignore what's going on. We understand, like what we were told in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship. And we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the great um, chapter that deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and sometimes, you know what, I just, I just like to read that chapter just to encourage my own soul. But, but you think about this, and at the end of that chapter... This is what Paul reminds us of. He says in verse 58, Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And so we're not just polishing brass on a sinking ship. We are actually called to be people who are radical in our actions. That means that justice matters to us. Taking care and caring for the poor matters to us. Speaking on behalf of the vulnerable matters to us. We're not just trying to escape the world. We engage the world with radical action because we understand that our labor is not in vain. We become people of radical hope, radical action, and radical love. We are people of radical love. We understand the God who created us did not just leave us to ourselves, but he loved us enough to say the story doesn't end with the fall. The story doesn't end with the fall of man. I am coming to make all things new. And he loved us that much that when that love is shed abroad in our hearts, we have the capacity now to love one another, even when they look different than you, even when they vote differently than you. Even when they have different opinions than you, we have the ability to love because we understand the type of love that we have is not one that this world has given us. It's one that the creator of this world has given us. You know, we, we, you, if you were to walk into our church, it's a pretty diverse church, and, and sometimes I'll have conversations with, with uh, pastors and other leaders, and they'll talk about, man, I want to see our church grow in our diversity. And, and one of the things that I think about is everybody loves diversity until it costs you power, privilege, and preference. It's like, man, that was a great idea, but now when it starts to cost me something, I don't really know. But I believe God has called us to be people who are able to love in such a way that we can love beyond the barriers, beyond our comfort, beyond our preferences, beyond our privileges, because that is what God's kingdom ultimately looks like. I'll get ready to end with this. You know there's a difference between getting you're ending and getting ready to end. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really in this. Um, you know, in uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, I know that was mentioned here a couple of weeks ago, but it gives us this picture of heaven where you have every nation, every tribe, every tongue surrounding the throne worshiping. And I think about how Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, uh, 
2011, I went to Jamaica about three times. Had some wonderful ministry opportunity. Really loved the people I had a chance to meet. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed the food, maybe too much. Then I came back to Florida. They had a lot of Jamaican restaurants in Florida, so I could still kind of enjoy it. But in Cincinnati, Ohio, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's not quite like Kingston, Jamaica. <laughs> but I have a good friend that, that owns a restaurant close to our church, and he has a Jamaican restaurant. You walk into this restaurant, you can see the Jamaican colors on the wall and pictures, and then you can hear the island music, and then you can go and order oxtail. You can go and order jerk chicken. You can order all these different things, and you feel like, man, this is a taste of Jamaica in the middle of Cincinnati. So if somebody wants to experience Jamaica, they can buy a passport or they can buy a meal. And I believe God has called us as the people of God to be a taste of heaven on earth. That we love in such a way when people say that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. This is what it's like when those who don't know Jesus step foot around and they say, well, how do you guys love each other? You're not supposed to like that person. They voted for this person. You're not supposed to be able to get along there. No, no, how does that happen? We have a love that comes because we understand that we reflect a greater kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be radical today in the way that we hope. May we be radical in our actions, and may we be radical in our love. You know, I asked you a question at the beginning. The question I asked was this. If you could change anything in the world that you wanted to, what would you change? Now, I don't want you to blurt it out, but did anybody think of anything? I, I got a few things. Okay, about a third of you have some things that you would want to change. Um, but but we, we all have different things, right, that we could probably keep in our mind and we could think of, hey, I would love to change that. And, and here's the encouragement. You know why I know that God is going to bring a new creation? It's because the change that God is making in the world has already begun, and it begins in our own hearts. You know, sometimes we're like, God, I want you to change the world. And he's like, yeah, I want to change the world. I'm like, okay. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you that you have given us the ability to have hope. Not a false hope, not a hope that ignores reality, a hope that guards against disillusionment, a hope that guards against cynicism. It's a hope that's rooted in the reality, God, that you are making all things new. So help us to live in a way, God, that those who are tired of this broken world can get a taste of heaven on earth through our lives, through our community, by the way that we engage one another. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.